Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Podcast Matthew Miranda joined as always by Stacy Patton. There is an enormous subject that I want to get to, so I'm just I'm not even going to dick around. I'm just getting right to the intro, and then we're going to get into it. Um, but online remains your top spot for all your live betting action and contests. NFL, college football, UFC, and NHL are all in full swing. But online is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. With both desktop and mobile access at any time, head to Bet Online today and use our promo code BLEAV for your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Stacey Patton, there's an enormous, divisive conversation going on, and the only place that it can be resolved is here on the Believe Next podcast. And that conversation, of course, revolves around Michigan and Ohio State, and me wanting to make very clear for the official record and for my podcast partner that I have hated Ohio State for a very long time. For someone who doesn't like have too much college football in the bloodstream, but I was a Miami Hurricane fan growing up. And in the 2002, I think it was the Fiesta Bowl, Miami played Ohio State for the national title. And there was some refereeing shenanigans and this is the game where Willis, Willis McGahee's knee got like destroyed and exploded on national TV. And Miami won the game in overtime, but there was a dubious pass interference call. And Ohio State won. I've hated Ohio State ever since then. I just need Stacy to know that even despite some of the things I did like, not did not enjoy seeing from Michigan this year, when it was kickoff and it was Michigan squaring off against Ohio State. And it was just me and my heart alone in the room. I hated Ohio State. Well, much appreciated. Much appreciated for the support. Um, I think we should all hate Alabama because uh, they stole <laughs> a spot. Uh, not do to you say that think, they're not one of the best four teams, but I think. Do Florida you feel State as a Michigan it. fan who obviously has like something at stake in this? And it, it seems to be my understanding that Alabama is considered a more dangerous opponent than Florida State would have been. Would you rather? Do you feel objectively Florida State should have been selected ahead of Alabama? Yeah, I think they're undefeated. Um, they they won with their third string quarterback. Everyone's like, "Oh, you're not going to have your starter." They that tells you how good the rest of their team is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll say this: Florida State fans have been going at Michigan like they didn't deserve to get in. They didn't have a tougher. Um, so, like, even with that in place. Do I think Alabama is a tougher opponent? Yeah, they have a very dangerous quarterback. I think Florida State at full strength, by the way, is a better team than Alabama. But they still they earned it. So the games don't matter at that point. Um, having said that, I wanted to face Alabama because um, yeah. Michigan is a team that's fighting for legitimacy on the national stage. They lost to TCU last year in a game they should have won. Uh, sorry, they, in a game they were favored to win. I'm not going to say should have won. TCU earned it. Um, the year before... They got demolished against Georgia. 
So as good as the last three years have been, they beat Ohio State three times in a row. They are still trying to make their mark. And I want I didn't want someone to say, well, they beat Florida State because it's a backup quarterback. I, you, you do it against the best. Um, so I wanted Michigan to face Bama for that reason. But I do think they're the harder matchup. And I also think Florida State deserved to be in. Hopefully a lot of these issues will go away with the 12-team playoff that's coming next year. Um, you know, even with March Madness, there's always the talk of teams that get screwed, but it's not like, oh, they could have won it if they didn't, if they, if the 69th or 70th of the best team got left out, right? So uh, I think when it's the 13th best team, it won't be as big a controversy, but um, the Florida State man fans should absolutely be upset. I think most college football fans are. So, but I think the Alabama game is going to be great. I've talked Alabama about it. Is, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say Alabama is a very deserving team. I just think they, there was no reason for them to get in over florida state based on the you know what actually happened on the field i have talked to people who don't follow college football at all and when you tell them the story like it just it makes it's antithetical to every single thing about sports if you think of every great sports story that would not have happened because someone along the way could say well we don't think that you can continue to win so we're going to stop you now um all the great sports stories ever is with that. Is I also wanted your opinion on which of the teams remaining do you consider the biggest threat to Michigan? Is it Alabama or is it? Yeah, it's Alabama. I think all four are very good teams. I think it's gonna be a fun playoff. Um, I think Alabama is the team most equipped to handle Michigan in the trenches. Um, they have a couple of Michigan hasn't seen a running quarterback like theirs. Um, both Washington and Texas have mobile quarterbacks don't get me wrong but those they tend to be more pocket they tend to be more aired out type of attacks uh, alabama's quarterback is very dangerous michigan hasn't seen a running quarterback like him um since last season at least the last time they faced a really good running quarterback was tcu and they lost um so and they they have the line like michigan thrives on winning in the trenches alabama has the kind of line to work with them and michigan has struggled with pass protection alabama's defensive ends is a who's who of who's a future or coming up first round picks um so i do think they're the best team right now um but i think i think that like texas texas is a really interesting threat um texas is a poor um is not a great um pass defense but michigan is a little bit not equipped to i mean they have a good quarterback they can throw the ball but the, Washington is the worst matchup for Texas. And um, and I think Washington scares me the least out of the four because Michigan just saw a really powerful passing attack at Ohio State. They played all season to defend against those kind of spread them out, air it out offenses, and they've had success. What I think the the um, – and Washington has a bevy of talented receivers, a quarterback who was very deserving of the Heisman. I'm not – you know, Jane Daniels deserved it for sure, but Phoenix was right up there. Um, so I think it's going to be a lot of four, four teams. I do think Alabama right now is the best one, but Texas beat them. So, I mean, if you, if you put a gun to my head, I'd probably predict a Texas-Alabama final, but I think I think it, it's it's close to a coin flip, I think, in both games. So it should be a lot of fun. Nice. Nice. Shifting from college football to the Knicks, there's a word that I learned this year. I think it's a new word. Um, Solastalgia. Um, S-O-L-A-S, so nostalgia. Um, and it's a word that means a sense of like loss or homesickness for a home that is like actively currently disappearing. So like it's a very climate chaos specific word. Like if you if you're mourning 
the laws of the world you knew while it is happening like it's so that's from soul scholarship from. from where so soul, like it would, with the sun that would be the kind of root mm -hmm. soul sun that's the root i would imagine of that word yeah 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 um i guess alja alja must have something to do with memory um and as if i find it a very like like, wow that's a word like that's a word that expresses something and in a much more like unimportant way it hit me this week as a nick fan that i think i may be experiencing a form of soul nostalgia because i i'm i'm in a very 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 busy time for work i started one new job and i'm finishing the semester and like i don't have the brain right now capacity that i usually have so i haven't recapped a game like in over a week because i've just been and if you have not had the chance to enjoy Stacey Patton's multiple recaps at the Strickland, the Strick.land, uh, Stacey recapped, I believe, the Milwaukee and Boston games. Not a great stretch for those who want to enjoy happy recaps, but two important games that we'll get to. And just, I'm, I'm, I've been so, so busy that I was barely perceiving what was going on. But I got pulled in eventually by this cult-like insanity that I've been picking up on uh, certainly on Nick, like Twitter and and social media, and, and but just in the conversation going on in the air, and it's really made me wonder if the world that I used to know as a Nick fan just no longer exists, and that I'm, I'm and that I lost it somehow while I was here because the crying and the whining about. So the Knicks had a week where they played two of the four best. The Bucks There's and the no Celtics had two of the four best. Not in baseball, but evidently there's a lot of it around basketball. So Boston and Milwaukee, two of the four best records in the league. The Knicks played them both in their arenas where they're combined, I think, like 20 and two so far this year. Um, the Knicks have been all season consistent in the sense of if you are a team anywhere around their level or below, they're going to beat you. And if you're an elite team, they have struggled to this point. They had some nice wins last year against some elite teams. I think their playoff record again showed like if you're in their ballpark, they can they can play you and they can beat you. Um, but we haven't yet seen them, you know, transcend to oh my god, they can they can take out a heavyweight. So nothing really to me of consequence has happened. It's always disappointing to see your team lose, particularly when there's some kind of trophy tournament incentive at stake. But at the end of the day, the Knicks have been right around a 48 to 50 win pace team. Um, nothing shocking has happened this year. They haven't had a terrible loss. They haven't had an unbelievable win. Everything's kind of been, and again, we are maybe a fourth of the way into the season. And I am seeing people like ready to jump out of buildings Thibodeau's got to go. This is why we have to trade Randall. The crying about we never should have won to advance in the tournament because that we got we had to play Milwaukee a fifth time and then also Boston and we would have been well, better well, off that, losing. That is more. I think that is more people reacting to kind of the that's it, was more of an NBA complaint, right? Even Josh Hart said, you know, I do think it's funny that like. Even our own, the Strickland, I'm not going to criticize anyone, but Randall said, what do you want me to say? It's a bullshit, right? And people ran with the it's bullshit part, leaving out or just not reading the question mark and just saying, he's just saying it is what it is, right? Josh Hart had an explicit complaint about that, where he quote tweeted someone. 
and personally i don't necessarily love that he did that but but my point is like in that section of the crying which i think is less than some of the other stuff is, is i think it's more directed at like kind of the you know kind of um a byproduct of the in-season tournament and how that kind of is not um, ideal for the Knicks if they're jockeying for playing a playoff position. But I don't think that's a complaint to the Knicks. I haven't seen someone say the Knicks should have thrown the games. No, no, that was more just, you know, I think extreme weirdos crying. But to me, it's it's no different than, okay, there are a handful of games during the season. You get, um, you know, you get Phoenix and Durant's not playing. And a team at the end of the year fighting you're fighting for in the standings doesn't catch that break. Or... You go on a West Coast trip that looks brutal, but because of load management and injury, you happen to miss, I don't know, Jokic one. Like, there's so many so many vagaries over so many months that to, to, to act like, oh, my God, we have to play Milwaukee and Boston again. And the thing – and the, the reason that I, I'm, I feel like maybe this is just now, for some people, just a different – maybe it's a different – it's a different world. The game is experienced differently. Fandom is experienced differently. Nick history is different. Um, but I feel like when you, if you look back, especially this century at the nineties, a lot of people feel like that was a really good time to be a Nick fan. Like they were competitive, they were successful. Like you can look back, but if you were like, if there's this much, and I, I, I may be, I may be taking too much from a distance out of two games, but the amount of hysteria that I'm seeing over two losses to two great teams, if you go back to like the 90s and how those years ended like it was never fun it never felt good like riley's first year they blew they were going to win their first division in 20 years they blew the division the last month of the season to boston they dropped from the two to the four seed everyone was crying about oh now they have to get detroit and if they get detroit they'll have to play chicago that turned out to be good the next year ended with fucking charles smith and that whole thing the next year ended with them losing game seven of the finals and Starks going two of 18. The next year ended with the Ewing finger roll. Those are all brutal, brutal endings to seasons. 97 ends with the brawl. Like all these years end painfully. But when people look back now, they're like, oh, that was a great time. I don't know if people experienced it differently or once you have enough distance, you, you miss out on some of those details. But I'm not at all bothered that the Knicks got an extra shot at Milwaukee an extra game against Boston because partly I think because it doesn't it the it didn't knock the Knicks off track of anything that I think is a reasonable objective for them this year. Like, okay, the Knicks aren't gonna win the top seed in the East. That wasn't an expectation. I don't expect them to get to the conference finals. I think they could if things broke right. But like nothing that's happened is like, uh oh. Like did you see something in the plane? Because I, you definitely saw more of the games than, than I did. I just read about it. And did you see things that made you be like, wow, this is actually kind of problematic? Or was it Milwaukee and Boston are bad matchups for this team because they tend to have really great players at all the same spots the Knicks do? Yeah, I, I think it's both. Um, I know that's kind of hedging. I think the fact that they are really bad matchups is problematic um, because we are trying to get to the next step. And <clears throat> so... There, I, I think I agree with a lot of what you said, and I do think the crying, just how far it's going, um, is is kind of. But I'll I'll say this: you mentioned that they're bad matchups. I think the fact, like five out teams in general, that can are just bad matchups. And most people say, oh, that's because of Mitchell Robinson, Isaiah Hartenstein. 
No, actually a big part of it, and I'm sorry to do this again, Matt, but I do think a big part of it is the fact that the Knicks do not have a plus option on defense at the four. Everyone focuses on Randall's decision-making and offense. I have. I think the big issue for me is that if you look at all of these teams, Boston as Tatum was a very good help defender and Brown. A little bit undersized, but they have those guys at the four. Um, or they can play KP or Horford with each other, right? So right. they have good help defenders. So that means when you're in a pick and roll, you don't have to play two on two. Um, and you don't have to worry that if you're aggressive, you know what on the back line will help. And it's unfair to put all of it on Randall. Again, they're great teams. Um, and, and Milwaukee in particular shot 60% from three. People just throw that they're out. Year against the, Knicks. the Knicks did not play great defense, but even when you don't play great defense, there's 60% from three. And then there's, and, and then the Bucks didn't even get that many up. You know, they, I think before garbage time, they got like 31 threes up. Mm-hmm. Um, so like Boston, I think is a little bit of a different story because the Knicks gave up a lot of threes and Boston shot 40% on them and they shot 60. Boston was a, was worst defensive performance, even though the numbers aren't actually going to say that in terms of overall score, the Boston game was a little more slow paced and they didn't shoot like insanely well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of it comes. To, so that's to me is still like, they need someone. And that's what I'm looking for in the draft. The guy who's like kind of a four or five hybrid that can really help on defense. That's why I don't cry about Obi Toppin because he wasn't changing that. That's why even if you got rid of Randall, I don't think Obi Toppin was the long-term solution mm. at the four. And he's not asked to do much in Indiana. Um, well, I think the part of the conversation that really bugged me after that Milwaukee game, you had Kenny Smith on TV saying, there's no oh, game God. in which the, the Knicks go in and they have the best player. And then you, I, I went through it. There's... 14 teams I found, and there's a few you can debate. <laughs> I think he's better than John. I think Jalen Brunson is better than John Morant. Um, some people may not agree. Um, there's people who think he's still better than Halliburton, who played amazing. We can talk about that. Uh, I really am kind of tired of it, but we can talk about that. Um, and then there's people who might say, well, look, I had I, I, I didn't put Cleveland in there, but it's very fair to say that Cleveland's best player has been outplayed by Jalen Brunson in two playoff series in a row. And, and he's one of the people that Kenny Smith specifically mentioned. He mentions first he brings up Ta- it was either Barkley or Smith. First they well, brought up Kenny Tatum. Smith also mentioned Paolo Boncaro. Yeah. So okay. First they said Tatum. There's about 26 teams in the league that if they better. play the Celtics, Tatum is the best player. Yeah. Paolo Boncaro, very nice player. Like second year, very very nice player. Please, also a poor man's version in. of the Knicks' second best player. He rebounds worse. He's he shoots very, very well. Brunson. No offense. I know you like Randall he shoots a lot. Very well. I'm, I'm, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, he rebounds worse. He shoots well on threes at a much lesser volume. Um, and this isn't about attacking Paolo Vancaro, but I wouldn't put him ahead of Randall, much less Brunson. Then he mentions Donovan Mitchell. Now, I'm going to take my own advice that I was thinking about the last couple of days because for some reason, I don't know why, I do know why. I do know why this bothers me so much. Like, none of these people who are ma- like we are talking about comments that were made by people that we know don't really study basketball like at all. Shaquille O'Neal is proud of the fact that he doesn't know the names of even people in the league. Charles Barkley <laughs> is a volume play for like he's a. He, He's volume everything. It's like he was when he was a player. He was a volume three-point shooter. He shot like 25%. He was the worst in NBA history he's on that volume. He's a voluminous person. He's a voluminous – yeah, I mean, he's vo- everything about Chuck is volume. He's a volume jokester. He's not funny, but he makes a lot of jokes. So the only thing that hit. lacks volume is his hair, right? So. 
Uh, again, I can't laugh at Chuck about these things, but he also volume analysis. He says a lot of points. That doesn't mean he has a lot to say. He says a lot, but he doesn't have a lot to say. Kenny Smith is like the beneficiary of like when you're in like you're in a class that you really shouldn't be in. And it's not really that you're so special. It's just that like you really sh- you're benefiting by the company because Kenny Smith is not full of like trenchant analysis either. I can't believe that he's going there. I can't believe. And and first of all, let's just go to the root of the whole conversation. Why is a team that was laughed at forever because it couldn't even take two steps without falling that has now shown for the better part of three out of four seasons under the same coach, under essentially the same own uh, front office, with one star player throughout another who's come like they've made tremendous free agent signings that have gone far be whose play has far exceeded the value of the deal signed in Randall's case in Brunson's case in Hartenstein's case in various cases they've all they've drafted ahead of the positions that they've been in they're still in a position that everyone acknowledges now whenever star x becomes available the Knicks are one of the front runners to be in position to get him they're succeeding on the court they're succeeding on both ends, offensive and defensive. They've shown internal development. They don't just throw money at free agents. Like Every single thing that the franchise has done over the last four years has shown the kind of shift that they were correctly ridiculed for never being able to accomplish over like almost a quarter century. And now they're supposed to be ridiculed because they're just solid. They're not a contender. And yeah, and... and... I think you, I mean they have progressed, right? They they the first year of the Rose Tibbs, you know, uh, administration, if you want to call it that, right? Um, they made the playoffs. They far out, and then it was it was a return to earth. The next year they took a legitimate step back. There was a lot of criticism to go around for everyone for Tibbs, for Randall, and yeah, the front office. The Evan Fournier signing was a failure. Um, I, I like he had he hit a bunch of threes that season. I'm sorry. I know. I think you're a little bit more sympathetic, I, and I'm, I'm sympathetic to Fournier. I think he plays a role. He's just not going to work on a team like the Knicks that relies on so much from their perimeter defenders. Um, that didn't work out. Um, you know, the Nerlens Noel and, and the Derrick Rose deals didn't work out. Alec Burks is. It's a shame that he's kind of a casual deal of all of this because he was a very mm-hmm. good player. Uh, he, there was no reason for him to play point guard. Um, and, you know, whatever your thoughts on quickly, there was no reason for Alec Burks to be playing point guard that year. That it was, was the failure for, that for everyone involved, Kemba. especially Burks. Mm-hmm. And Kemba was, of Kemba course, a failure. Although I, and, 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 and I think there's misalignment between the front office because you had um, you had Kemba Walker get signed for only eight mil. That shouldn't guarantee anything. Right. Um, but, you know, but Tibbs, I think, did the best he could. He was willing to bench Kemba. Then he brought him back. Um, you know, I think the treatment of quickly and all of that, these, there are, there are, this, this front office is not batting a thousand. I am not crying over Obi for the reasons I mentioned, because, mm-hmm. um, because I don't think he solves the biggest issue at that position, which is a help defender against the top teams. The Knicks are a good defensive team. They needed someone who, and in, you know, so I, I think he's a really solid player. Um, but but it's fair to say that they didn't. They didn't. That was a that was a fiasco, or, or that was that was something they botched, right? They drafted him at the, a twenty-two year old at the eighth pick. We can talk about who they took him over afterwards, but the point is, they, they, there have been missteps, right? But they have trended up. Last year, they came back. Not only did they get back to where they were, they won a playoff series, 
And I think part of it, part of it you have to talk about is I, I realized last year I was reflecting on this because when they lost the heat, I think I've been really bad. I said things I shouldn't have said, frankly. Um, and I took it really hard. Um, but, um, but, you know, I, I, um, I realized like, hold on, why are you so upset? Right. Michigan made the playoff. The Eagles made the Super Bowl. That's my football team. And the Knicks won. The Knicks won. Winning a playoff series happens about as often as the Eagles make the Super Bowl. That is a Super Bowl. <laughs> um, and yet, it's the most sadness in many ways that I experienced. So that's the curse of expectations, right? If you read during the peak Spurs years, go read Pounding the Rock or the comments on there. There were fire pop comments going on. Read a Patriots game during their run. So much yep. coming out. And so, like, you're. It's not that we we get satisfied. We always want more. And when the expectation gets set high. Then I mean, like that's kind of the shitty thing about Michigan this season. It's like anything less than this is just they hit par. They had to beat Ohio State. Anything less was a failure. For the Knicks, we don't want it to. It's getting to that point where if they just get back to the second round, that's just par for the course. So it's a curse of expectations, which I think is a human thing. We're all guilty of it, but it's something to be um, cognizant of. Um, so do I think? And let, let's talk about some of the specific grievances, right? So Kenny Smith's thing is the Knicks need a star. Um, the the problem I have with that, aside from the fact that you can he can still modify a statement to say, okay, fine. There's a lot of teams where Brunson would be the best player, but against you know Denver or Phoenix or the kind of teams they'll face that are with them. And I I I, I where I disagree with these, I I don't think it's unfair to start having the conversation about should the Knicks be trying to be contenders this year and should they be looking to make a move. I don't think it's just I don't think we necessarily need to be complacent. I think this is this is a good team. It's a really good team. Um, they have some flexibility. They have some good young players. So I don't think it should just be be satisfied with the second round, even though it's not doom and gloom if it happens. I think there's a there's an, a, a midpoint for me there. Um, but the problem was that if you look at this team and what, what has plagued them the last two games, it's not a, like when you talk about star, people usually mean isolation scorers. That was not an issue against Miami. That was not an issue against Cleveland. Okay, they had a guy who finished the Miami series 31 points, 38 points, 41 points. Um, against Cleveland, he was less efficient, but he did average close to 30 points a game. Um, like, if there's any, if there's a critique of them, it's probably that they might lean too much into that. So, if you want to talk about, well, the Knicks could use another facilitator, they could use another help defender in the front court to give them some versatility on defense against some of these five out attacks. That I completely agree with. Um, I think if you want to have a conversation about is the formula of taking a lot of floaters, setting up these mid range shots at the expense maybe of ball movement. We can have we can have a conversation about that. They never use movement threes. I think that's philosophically a thing, because you know they because analytics show that if your name's not Steph Curry, movement threes are generally not a good shot, even for good shooters. And we can have discussions about that. But just this is like the Knicks need a star is the laziest form of analysis. Uh, so there's that though, right? Like are they just and then there's kind of there's this association of teams that are in the middle that aren't good enough to pick high in the lottery, and being stuck. The Knicks are a middling within that upper echelon however there there is no guarantee that you get the top pick first of all right uh, it's 14 percent for for the top pick if you have the worst record we saw that the knicks did tank and you know in what many considered to be a two-person draft they got the third pick and they still got a really good player but tanking isn't the only way to go and usually these middling teams are teams like chicago or something who don't have any flexibility. The Knicks have flexibility. You can deride the protected picks they have, but they have all of their future picks and they have young talent. So this isn't a team that has doesn't have pathways to getting better either, right? So that would be the other thing. And then the last thing I think that 
in the in-season tournament, um, we've seen so much conversation about is Tyrese Halliburton is playing like an MVP and the Knicks passed on him, right? There have been reports, Zach Lowe himself reported, that uh, Halliburton's agent wanted him to get drafted by the Kings and discourage other teams from doing that. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves, by the way, is a, I've heard is that. a What was the reason for that? I don't know. Maybe opportunity, maybe the ability to play, uh, maybe had relationships with, with Mike Brown. I don't know. Um, but that is what was said. Or they, they played an up-tempo style of offense. Uh, I mean, you can you can discard that. You can say that, well, it's New York. You get him here. He's He'll, he'll buy in fine. Um, the Timberwolves, by the way, had a similar story. They said they were asked, why did you take Ricky Rubio and Johnny Flynn over, you know, Steph Curry? That guy. And they also <laughs> said that he didn't want to come to Minnesota, um, which it's, it's sad because the team he really did want to go to, he didn't end up there either, right? Um, I mean, it turned out well for him. It worked out but okay for is, Steph. So people are still worried about Halliburton, even though we have a great point guard. And then the other, the finals featured Halliburton with Obi Toppin, who the Knicks didn't get great value for him. Let's, let's be honest. Um, and the other side featured Cam Reddish, who's starting. And I think what people need to realize is it's it, it's okay if guys go some like I think a few years ago when whenever somebody would leave, it's like man, we could have had that guy. We could we traded Ron Artest, we traded the pick that became Lamarcus Aldridge, right? Whenever young guys would go somewhere else and thrive, that was. But we don't need to worry about that because a cam reddish is just spotting up attacking closeouts and playing defense he's doing that next to the second best player of all time and and the on-off stats show he cam is making a solid role player impact the knicks have guys who do that that is not like you can't say on what out of one corner of the mouth oh the knicks need a star and also wow how they let cam reddish go well cam reddish is thriving because he's being a role player um, and it's a sin. So I think we're, we're conditioned to like, just lament everyone who goes, but now if you have a problem, some people would say, well, you know, Cam Reddish is on a minimum. We're paying Josh Hart to do a lot of the same things, way more money. Fine. But it's not like, it's not like Cam Reddish or Obi Toppin is dramatically changing the Knicks fortunes. And if you're still worried about Tyrese Halliburton, um, in a draft where say what you want about Obi Toppin, he did give the Knicks some good moments in playoff games. And the Knicks got a pretty good point guard in Emmanuel quickly there. Then, you know, we have to like it was it was a mistake. They should have taken Halliburton. They're also in a good place. It hasn't set them back. You know, it's not like passing on a franchise quarterback. Um, so that I think that it all came to a head over the last few days, and and I think um, so that's what a lot of what you're seeing is. Just let it be known, the official policy of the Believe Knicks podcast is that we are fine with Cam Reddish being somewhere else. I am not crying about. I'm never going to cry and about. I, and I'm happy for him. You know I'm what I'm saying? Cry. I am too. Like I got no beef. Here, like, I got no beef at all with Cam. I hope he has a good career. But I'm not crying at all about Cam Reddish. Um, also, I think this matters for me. And I think it's it's the, the Barkley Smith comments bothered me more than I usually am bothered by two people that I've learned by now not to really pay that much attention to. There's other reasons why can it bothers me. Other, can, I, can I say one yeah, other thing on that? Yeah, yeah. It was very, um, I don't want to say hurtful. I don't want to be dramatic. I tweeted this, though. It was very disappointing to see a New York point guard. Um, basically, he was insulting Jalen Brunson. That's like, if you're saying they never, he's never, like, if I'm taking your statement for what it means, that means that you think Kyle Kuzma or Jordan Poole is better than him. <laughs> so you're seeing a famous New York point guard 
putting down the first real franchise point guard the Knicks have had since at least Stefan Marbury. That that was very disappointing to see. Yeah. Um it, it's it's bizarre, like I'm saying, because in part, like I try to analogize it to reality. And I think of like when you walk down the street and there's a guy in the corner who's always saying crazy shit all the time, just stupid shit. You don't pay, you just, you tune that person out. So if I'm walking by that guy one day and he starts talking about the Knicks being a star, I'm not, it doesn't register. But these people have an enormous reach, an enormous audience. Um, They're extremely well compensated. And like you were saying, some of what, what irks me is it's lazy. It's absolute lazy analysis. It's absolute like what anyone from 500 yards who never even thinks about the Knicks knows that you can say about the Knicks. Like everybody knows it. But it's also like if we want to like let's really get into the like if you want to have this conversation, let's have it honestly and like let's have it truthfully. Everyone knows the Knicks want a star. Everyone knows that Leon Rose was brought in with that as as a major part of his agenda. Everyone knows that the team has been assembled the way that it has in part to maintain and maximize the flexibility to make that kind like we all know that. We also all know that right now, no star is available. This is not a season where like, boy, the Sixers are tanking, Maxie's out for the year, and Bede is making all these noises about wanting to leave. All right, Leon Rose, money on the table, make it happen. There's no Even star. If you settle for a second tier. Minnesota is the top of the West. So Cat's not available, right? And again, um, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. And I also wanted to add this. One, can we just say the Knicks have a star? Like he averaged nearly 31. Let's talk about Brunson, right? Well, can you do it in the playoffs? He averaged 25 and six um, last year. Then he did it in the playoffs. This year he's shooting insane from three. A very efficient player. Um, and then the complaints, of course, that we need a true point guard. So, I, you know, there's you're never going to be happy at that point. And then I'll tell you this, right? Randall has not come through in the playoffs. Um, he is a particular type of player. If there was another, if there's, if Julius Randall was in Indiana right now, or some other place, and he's a two-time All-NBA player, and there were whispers he might be available, all the same Knicks fans would be like, we need to make a move. You need to make Julius Randle's a big name who can get you 20 and 10 any given night. That would 100% be the convo. Because because I've seen the same fucking people cry out for DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> Do you think he's going to be better than Randle? Is he going to be much better than R.J. Barrett at this point in his career? That's the So the people that are being this, the names that you hear, you hear... DeRozan, Levine, earlier in the season, very early in the season, maybe not even and maybe more the all season, but you hear like Towns mentioned, we heard Mitchell in the past. I'm not positive. In fact, sorry, I am positive that had the Knicks paid what it would have cost to bring in any one of those players, either Donovan Mitchell out of Utah or Towns out of Minnesota, or even a lesser deal for DeRozan or Levine, any one of those trades would have been regretted. Because none of those players was going to come in and like holistically, like Mitchell's a very nice player. If you put him next to Brunson, you're not getting the most out of both of them. Like you're going to yeah. lose something. I think if you'd you bring... have to move Randall. So you'd have to have three really good defenders next to them. Yeah, like like, and maybe maybe you'd have to move Barrett too, unless he took a leave on the defensive end. But so we're not talking about oh the the Knicks need a star. Like there were times in the past you could critique the Knicks where they had, they literally had no cap space or they had no draft picks or they had like four. I remember in 20, 
it was like 2014. There, I used to cry. I would go on Basketball Reference, and you would see Melo's salary, Stoudemire's salary, Tyson Chandler's salary, Bargnani's salary, Ugh. and and it was and it was so sad. It was so sad that doesn't exist anymore. They also like, Tim Hart. Well, they didn't. They hadn't paid Tim Hardaway Jr. yet, but they had him on the team. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there there were reasons to be like, oh my God, there are star like LeBron is available, and we don't we can't get him, or we don't have a roster that. He would want to come to, and now you're in a position where, okay, there's no star available. But that's not our problem. We're rolling along, winning, winning the games that we're supposed to win. I so I hear you on the like, I hear you that expectations can change, and I understand. Like I do think there is a path where the Knicks could do better than they did a year ago. When I why the reason I say for me, like first I've said it before on the show, so I'm not going to like make you have to hear it again. But there are reasons why. The Knicks showing consistent years of success means more to me than a normal just oh that's repetitive. Like to me, it doesn't look as repetitive when it's the funniest. You know, the funniest thing is when there's younger fans who are like, "Oh my God, the Knicks haven't won in fifty years. We're tired of this." Like we, <laughs> right? <laughs> Who's we? I mean, even even <laughs> I don't consider like I I have been a fan for you know about twenty five years now, really twenty five nice. twenty six years, nice. and I've seen a lot. I still wouldn't say I've suffered as much as you. Or like you know, people who anyone who didn't see the seventies, even even people for, who can remember that, so for them, it's even more torturous, right? Because they've seen what it's like when the city wins a championship, um, you know. And, and I think it hurts more because you know uh, the Yankees just went on a tear in the nineties. Uh, the Giants won a couple of Super Bowls. Um, you know, the the Rangers won a Stanley Cup in ninety four. So this is really the only franchise. Uh, well, the Jets too. So I think Jets, Mets, Knicks is it does seem like it's a pretty difficult existence. Uh, I got I got lucky on. I was raised Jets, Mets, Knicks, Rangers, but I I followed the Mets. I saw them win in '86. Um, it's yeah. it's the Met fans that are younger than me, and if you're a Nick fan who's around sixty, you've seen nothing but post. Like you saw the you, you started in the '70s when they began to hear, and you lived through the whole '80s. Like those people have seen have had nothing but like you got to be my dad's. Age. My dad is seventy-one. You have to be like that age around that age to have like seen the Knicks win anything um another thing that and and i think sorry, yeah I, I i wanted to add this too it's also the kind of repetitive nature of a lot of this criticism it's like how many times can you say the knicks need to first of all the knicks need to throw in everything to get us like Stephen a is a fucking like the whole criticism was that they're trading all of their picks for names instead of building a real team right they paired carmelo anthony and amari stoudemire because they were big names Instead of thinking about the fit, even leaving aside Sotomayor's injury issues, they you know they they traded for Barniani, all these things. Now they're not doing that. They're they're having some little measures. Because by the way, you mentioned Mitchell. I think Schwinn mentioned this. Schwinn said that like what he thinks is realistic is like Mitchell has a year left in his contract after this year, so you can still get Donovan Mitchell, and now it's probably going to cost a lot less with a year left on his contract. Um, you know, and, and he's probably going to tell everyone that if the only team I'm considering besides the Knicks is Miami. So you can even still revisit that. Um, but I think there's just also so many more interesting conversations to have. It's, uh, on that Bulls team, there's one player I want. Can you guess who the one player I'd really – I mean, I, I would if, – if Pat Williams is cheap, fine. So two players. But who is the guy I really want from that Chicago team? Can you guess? The only serious player on that whole roster is Caruso. Yeah, that's who I would trade for. And then you, you could yeah. you could have a conversation. Well, they already have a ton of guards. 
does he is he going to give you anything that Josh Hart is an art? Fine, I think he does. But the point is, those are interesting. Or can they trade for like a defensive four? You know, those are those are or somebody not even to replace Randall, but just I I think th- there could be a conversation even like should they should they send Randall for young players and picks and then reload to get another star and then make that a moving parts thing? There's no way that'll happen because it makes them worse this year, and I don't think they want to be worse this year. I think there are so many more interesting conversations. Could, are there schematic things they can change? Personally, I think still the biggest lever that they can pull to get better is that I, I think if you look at their on-off, um, we can take this afterwards. If you look at their on-off, they have four guys who are fighting for minutes with each other, right? That's Barrett kind of gets his minutes. He's a little bit out of this equation right now. Um, you have Hart, Quickly, Grimes, and DiVincenzo. DiVincenzo yeah. If you look at their on-off, Grimes and DiVincenzo are neutral net rating, but about minus eight on versus off. Quickly, again, for the fourth straight Help year... Help me with this for one second. I always struggle to, to retain this concept. There's there, there's on-off that like when you're on the floor, your team... There's always two columns, and I want to know the difference between... So so net rating is per 100 possessions. Okay. Does your... How much... So if you have a 0.7 net rating, that means that for 100 possessions when you're in the game, your team outscores the other team on average by 0.7 points. Right. On-off is this... On office to say, let's take that net rating, that 0.7, with you on the floor, and then let's compare it to the net rating of all the minutes they played with you're not on the floor, and let's take the difference. Uh, so if you're so 0.7 much... and when you're not on the floor, they're one, they're a point over, then you're on office minus 0.3? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly okay, it, okay, right. Okay, okay. So quickly for four years now has consistently been at the top of the Knicks on that. Hart, for since he's on, gotten on here, off rating? Has, yeah. The okay. team has consistently, and people have derided it. They said he only plays with the bench. Over four, and it can be a noisy stat. Over four, this is a big reason why on-off stats love quickly. And it matches up with a lot of what you see on the floor, particularly on the defensive end, but also with his ability to both play on and off ball. Hart, since he's gotten here, has been that way too. So I think the biggest lever they can pull is, Hart is already getting 28 minutes a game. Can you get quickly to 30? That is the biggest lever without making a move that I think really would improve this team. Um but um, but I, I think that but even that right like you can only say that so many times. I'm sure you got tired of it, you know, of hearing it when you were. I think especially early on, you were someone who tried to say, you know, let's be patient with quickly. We don't need them to start over over Peyton. I was definitely guilty of this. That's all I said like all year. We need to start quickly over Peyton. But I'm now seeing like the repetitive nature of stuff becomes a less interesting conversation. Um, but, um, so I think that's part of what's, what's annoying too, is like, we get it. You think the Knicks should have tanked or we get it. You, you know, the Knicks really had something in cam. There's only so many times you can say that. And, and it's not really the most game changing point, you know? No. Let me ask you, I want to time for one or two more questions. And this is, I, I, I did want to, sorry, I did want to mention something basketball related. Um, so aside from all of this, I do think there were real concerns with the Celtics and Bucks. If you're not concerned about matching up with them, they're not concerned. But we want to get there eventually. And I think that they need a better solution against five-out teams. I mean, it's also fair to say, by the way, that, yeah, the Knicks couldn't guard Dame and Giannis pick and roll or Dame and Brooke Lopez pick and roll. Yeah. Outside of maybe Miami, nobody has a good solution for that. Uh That's just Uh that that there's a very good chance they're going to win the championship. And if they don't, there's one team that has a solution for that. And, And I'll say this, right? As much as the conversations around the Knicks need a star, the Celtics added Porzingis and Drew Holiday, but the things that have helped those, and I'm not going to deride Porzingis at all. I, and 
you know, he said all the right things. That's water under the bridge for me. I, I'm I don't know if I'm rooting for anyone with the Celtics jersey on, but I got no animosity towards. He's very likable. He's very likable. He always um, has been. And I think he was in the beginning of his career. I think with his it brother, was, whatever so. happened. And I think it's also fair, you know, not to rehash that whole thing. The Knicks didn't want to give one fifty-eight million dollars to a guy with his injury issues, and they were right not to. And they were right not to, and and it worked out for him. He eventually got back to health. He went to two other money teams, and it, but we didn't have the time to wait for that. Yep. Um, it ended up hurting Dallas too, right? Um, Which so, is really the only moral that matters. <laughs> but I think the point is, what is KP? KP is not isolation scoring. He is being a role no. player. He's being a star role player. Exactly. But he's hitting threes. He's stretching defenses, causing matchup issues, playing very good defense, mm-hmm. uh, and doing his job. It's not like, and it's something that I think he had to learn because even when he went to Dallas, he wanted to post up. He wanted to do his things. You know, we saw all the highlights. The we talked about that. that. Yeah. We talked about it on the on Reddick's pod that he had that beef with Luca. You know. Yeah, and 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 he's embraced being a role, and he's a great role player. So I think that's a much again, that's another like if you're talking about who the Knicks need, it's probably a guy like that more than it's like another shot creator. Um, and maybe I'm wrong on that, but I think those are interesting conversations I had. I did want to ask a basketball question though. The other thing that has been talked about a lot is Quentin Grimes really struggled to open this season, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he had a you know after the the Milwaukee game, he it really came to a head. I don't think he played that poorly, but on offense, he gave you nothing. I thought he actually played very good defense on Damian Lillard. You know, it didn't matter because Dame was just having a Dame game. Um, but, you know, he, he ended up expressing frustration. I'm not involved in the offense. It's tough to be effective when you don't touch the ball more than once or twice for long stretches. Uh, and he went to the bench. And, uh, and, and I think the Knicks players and Tibbs said the right things. You know, none of us played well. We need to get him more involved. <laughs> he went to the bench for a guy in DiVincenzo who would really starting to be heating up. DiVincenzo didn't have much of an impact in the Milwaukee game, and Grimes came alive. Um, so do you read much into that? Do you think maybe that's a symptom that the starting lineup is just too stagnant right now? Um, or do you think it was just kind of a, a fire lit under Grimes or like a, a chip on his shoulder? I, I don't know what you make of that, but I'm curious your thoughts. Grimes is still – I know he's he's not – he was not a young rookie when they drafted him, so we're not talking about like a 20-year-old, but he's still a young player. He's like 23 uh, now, yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not ready to. I don't, I don't know what Grimes fully is yet, and I assume that's part of, um, like his frustration is that he's not being given opportunities to find out. I, to this point, and I don't know that how much weight to give to this, but to this point, Grimes to me doesn't look like, like I remember when Doug Christie was on the Knicks and the Knicks players were would like constantly complain to Riley, like play this guy, like he's killing it in practice, like there's this whole skill set that you're not unleashing, like, please unleash it. I don't feel like that's the case with Grimes. I see with Grimes, and I, I don't, I've don't. i never known, because you've seen it since his rookie year. Grimes, it was, it's always been apparent since Grimes got here that, like, he is very conscious of whatever limitations, like, if, if you could see as a rookie, like, he was going to catch and shoot, and that was it. If he didn't have, like, he wouldn't even attack closeouts early on, because he hadn't maybe been trusted with that responsibility, wasn't comfortable doing it. I don't know what it is. I still don't know to this point with Grimes if what holds him back is the team is not cutting him loose or he just doesn't have it. Because in the playoffs last year, and I've seen it this season also, but he struggled against Miami. And, and now, so maybe that's, he had totally struggled. But in the playoffs, there were times last year where Grimes would get uh, pass out to the corner. He would fake, gets past the closeout, take about two dribbles in, and then instead of pulling up for a mid-range or instead of going all the way to the basket, 
he's picking up his dribble and he's looking to get back out again. The aggression's not there. I've seen him do that this year at times also. I have no idea if the problem is Grimes just needs to trust himself and like play more aggressively and be and and maybe there you can look at he he did say in his comments and we saw this with Obi when Obi was here. There's a clear anxiety Grimes is feeling where if I mess up, I have a short leash. And even Chenzo's playing so well, and he's a veteran. Like, and even Chenzo's all chaos. He makes mistakes. You know, I would say more than Grimes. He commits more mistakes of aggression than Grimes does. But, Tibbs but I'm is, getting. I think Tibbs is not going to kill you for that, right? I think Tibbs not for gets mistakes more of aggression. Upset. No. Tibbs gets more upset. He gets upset if you take a really bad shot, but he gets more upset at you passing up. I think good shots, yes. right, or playing passively. That's why he always. That's why as, as a rookie, quickly was getting a quick hook. No pun intended, but um, you know he was because quickly's biggest thing, and it's gone away a lot this year. By the way, quickly's biggest Achilles heel has been picking up his dribble when too early, right? Um, I think with Grimes, it is a little bit that there's just limitations to what he's going to be able to do off the dribble. But I do think there's something to the fact that he plays a lot better with the bench. He played really well in some of those because the bench pushes the pace, right? So you're going to get more looks in transition. The bench is going to have more yes and. I don't know if you've ever taken an improv class, Matt, or um, they have this thing called yes and, right? Where in a scene, improv is not really like stand-up where you go on this monologue. It is to keep the action going, right? So if your partner says mm -hmm. something... Yes, and right. Keep the keep it going, right? Don't 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 bring it to a head. Don't try too hard. Just make sure that the, keep building the scene, and it'll organically turn into something. And that's what I think. That's really what quickly does. That's what um, Divincenzo is good at. You know, coming from the ultimate yes and team in the Warriors, where you throw this pass, you kick it out. That's not just the end. Like either shoot or if it's not there, pump fake. It's like okay, I'm gonna keep running. And then if you if you feel like you we've only created a micro advantage, but the closeout was decent, you drive, and you don't have to find the assist. And you don't have to score a layup. Find the next open guy. And then keep the bench does that. And I think Grimes is a little bit better fitting into that, where he's not going to ask to do complex dribble moves. And he's not asked to attack set defenses or just to make a split second decision off of a, you know, a, a, a pass from. I don't think that's an excuse. I think he still needs to be ready to just. And I think you see it. Like we blame, I, I blame Randall for not making enough reads and Barrett too. But there's times when they see Grimes in the corner and look him off. And it's like, I absolutely get it. Like, I, I'm throwing you the ball. Like Randall had has had a couple where he'll throw Grimes the ball for an open three. Grimes pump fakes and then does nothing, and then he gives it back to Randall as a as a grenade with five seconds left on yeah. the shot clock. That's not fair, and that's bad. Randall is uh, not just for his own to protect his stats, but also like that's a bad possession. I'm better off taking a fadeaway if you're not going to shoot. Um, mm -hmm. So I think there, but I also think that Grimes may thrive in some of that more up tempo pace. That he might get with the bench, or um, and, and maybe this is a way for him to find his confidence again. Um, but I, I am worried about that shooting guard spot because, you know, I, I think maybe it's running some of the things that they've run for Evan Forney in the past, right? They used to give him pin downs, have him come up. You know, they used to run specific plays. Maybe it's doing more of that. But I think it was worrisome to also, as much as it was encouraging to see Grimes kind of bounce back on the bench, it's a little worrisome to see Divincenzo relegated now we're on the bench he's doing all of those things you mentioned being aggressive playing off quickly i, I love their two-man game mm -hmm. um i think Hart is a really good addition to that lineup too because he does all of these things um it was a little bit concerning to see that well this is if the same thing's happening to divincenzo are we just is whoever is in that shooting guard whether it's sam whether it's quickly is that person just going to be relegated to corner duty because that's not ideal right so that would be kind of the worry there let me 
that leads to the question actually that I wanted to ask you. Let me close the episode with this question for you. Um, do you think quickly could work in that spot? I do. Um, if you look at, I'll, I'll pull up some numbers here. If you look at the, so when he plays with Brunson, they are killing teams. Because quickly, uh, a lot of what you're mentioning about Grimes and even DiVincenzo, like quickly fundamentally as a player brings such different, not only skills, but also like levels of aggression. I feel that like, it's not even an issue and you yeah, don't lose the, anything. The aggression is you a, gain, if anything, you know. Yeah, I mean, what you lose is Grimes is a better on-ball defender, right? Um, than both of them, by the way. Quickly and DiVincenzo are both great off-ball defenders, but uh, but I think Quickly is kind of the best intermediary where he's he's better as on-ball than DiVincenzo, even if I think Grimes is probably a little bit more versatile. Um, but he gives you some of that. Um, he gives some of that. But up, so if you look at uh, like when Emmanuel Quickly and Jalen Brunson have shared the court. For 264 minutes this year, they have a net rating of 10.69. They have 122.99 offensive rating, which is bonkers, a pretty solid 112.3 defensive rating. Then you say, well, okay, but if he has to play with those starting lineups, he's quickly just going to be standing in the corner. Is that a waste of his talents? Even when he plays with both Brunson and Randall, which means he's at best a third option. I haven't cut the RJ part in, but if RJ's on there, he's the fourth option. Even when it's the three of them, in 187 minutes, they have a plus 10. 0.88 0.88 rating. It's virtually identical. A little bit better, actually, yeah. than just it's. It's actually yeah. better. It's be- better when all three of them play than even with just Brunson and quickly next to Randall. Um, mm-hmm. So I do. I think it can work. Yeah, I think quickly will. I think quickly is better suited to be aggressive and hunt for his own shots than maybe Grimes or DiVincenzo are, who are more strictly off-ball players. And like I said, the other part of it is forget forget even the conversation around. Quickly's uh, contract, right? Which, by the way, if you were to start him, it probably it wouldn't hurt that discussion, right? Because he'd probably feel a little bit more comfortable saying, "Well, I, I have a starting role here. Um, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm not just a bench guy." Um, by the way, going back to la- last year, if you look at the three of them together, the stats are pretty similar. Last year, they had a six net rating with the three of them together. Defensive rating was about identical. Offensive rating one nineteen. Um, I think probably quickly just playing a lot better on offense this year helps. Um, but, um, you know, I absolutely think it worked. And I, like I said, I think that you have a guy who has very high impact. If you can find a way to get him seven, eight more minutes a game, then that's a real lever you can pull that helps this team. Um, so to answer your question, I do, I would be a little bit worried that he could get relegated to corner duty at times and be too passive. But I think this season he's shown that. No, he he's he can assert himself in that lineup, and that's something that Grimes or even DiVincenzo can't do as much. Even hard to struggle with that a little bit. So, yeah, I think I I think you said it earlier, and I think I agree with you that it's it's short of whatever star move is going to come if it came this season. The biggest chance this team has of improving is with quickly getting up to like thirty minutes. Um, I think more than anything else that they can do this year. Yeah, so and, hopefully... and that's not to say that. And, and I'll add this, like, when I said that on-off stuff, it's worth mentioning it's a difference, right? So it's not that Grimes and DiVincenzo have been bad. The Knicks are about neutral in their minutes. The difference is that they're just really good when quickly and hard play, you know? So mm-hmm. That's all for this episode of the Believe Knicks podcast. Knicks have a very busy week coming up. They will play Toronto in New York on Monday night. And then they begin a West Coast trip Wednesday. They're in Utah. 
Friday, Phoenix, and Saturday at the Clippers. So we will get a chance to see the Knicks against quite a few teams in their range. Hopefully they take care of Toronto and Utah, and we'll see who's healthy when they line up for the Suns and the Clippers. Uh, I'm sure we'll get to you at some point in the week. Everybody enjoy your holiday. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube